Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. Today is Thursday, April 19th, 2018, otherwise known as National High Five Day. I'm Chris Alimony, and with me as always are Mike Montgomery and Ben Ueda. Hey, I'm happy to be here. What's up? Two guys that are in the same house, so they can actually give each other a high five if they wanted to, but I am not close to them. But let's see if we can give each other a high five through the computer. All right, three, two, one. Yeah! Whoa, it worked! The triple (laughs) high five. Wow. Do people even give high fives to each other, like, in earnest anymore, other than, like, if you were playing basketball or something? Like, would you ever say, like, hey, what's up, Mike? And me and you just walk by each other and give each other a high five? I think it's more of a fist bump kind of moment, you know, just dabbing people up that way. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, the casual high five has lost its power a little bit, but... Yeah, I think it was replaced by the fist bump. Yeah, yesterday me and Ben were uh, playing baseball with a scrap piece of 2 by 2 and a 2 by 4 that was roughly the size of a baseball. Uh and uh, That warrants some high-fiving? Yeah, well, not to brag, but I did hit a home run into the neighbor's yard. (laughs) And so whenever I went went to retrieve the ball, he was out there and he's like, what are y'all doing? We're like, oh, nothing, we're just playing baseball. So he came out (laughs) and I threw him a couple pitches and he really cracked one and I I high-fived him. Man, see? And it was a it's, good one. It's, not, it's, why it's National High Five Day. Not to brag, but I hit a line drive right at Mike's face. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> almost. Almost. <laughs> yeah. All right. So today we are going to talk about the Rockler Plywood Challenge. It's officially kicking off. Yes. We're also going to talk about responses to the River Table comments that were made, I guess it was probably two episodes ago, but it was only like, I don't know. I guess it was two weeks ago. But anyways, we're going to hear your you guys... Uh, sent some message responses in some audio responses so we're going to play those and then we haven't heard them yet so we'll give our feedback to your feedback and we're also going to talk about the staging wall that mike and ben built at their house but first what have you guys been working on mike you go ahead and take it away well i've been working on my plywood challenge video and it's coming out really great um so I think I talked about it briefly, the fact that we went over to Chris's. I mean, we recorded a podcast while I was there, um, but I haven't talked too much about the project itself. Chris, you have a CNC. You're pretty decent with it. I mean, although uh, we did run into a few problems. Decent. Yeah. More, more that you have a CNC more than whether yeah, you're good you go. or bad at it. Right. <laughs> you have a CNC, part. and uh, I had been kicking around the idea of some sort of like flat pack, portable desk, or table. I had been sketching mm-hmm. it up in SketchUp a few times over the past couple of weeks, and I came to the realization while I was modeling it one day that it could all be cut out of, a, out of a single sheet of plywood if I altered the design just a little bit. So my idea initially was to use half-inch plywood. Uh, the tabletop would be two half-inch pieces laminated together to give me one half-inch or one full-inch piece, and then the legs would all be built out of half-inch plywood. And the idea is that I could CNC a recess on the bottom of the table for those mm-hmm. half-inch pieces to set into. And so you could disassemble everything. It would kind of knock down simply. You could use uh, just basically a, a friction fit to put the legs and any of the braces and supports on the underside of the table and then carry it wherever you want and set up. Um, but once I realized that it could be a challenge video, like I said, I had to alter it a little bit to make it all out of a single sheet of plywood. So instead of a half-inch piece, I picked up a three-quarter inch piece of pine plywood. And Chris, yep. you opened my eyes. Yeah. They have three-quarter inch pre-finished pine plywood out here. 
It's surprisingly nice, is it not? That was mostly Home Depot opening your eyes more than me, but yeah, it was. It's it's actually pretty nice stuff. Yeah. So normal three quarter inch pine plywood, I think, is thirty five bucks a sheet, and this was about forty five bucks a sheet. So I will pay ten bucks to not have to put finish on my project any day of the week. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just altered the di- design a little bit instead of there being cut out recesses for the legs to fit into. Uh, I just didn't have the material to be able to do that. So I used magnets on the bottoms of the legs and on the bottoms of the tables. Mm -hmm. And so whenever the legs and the stretchers all kind of disassemble because nothing is glued together, it's all kind of either a mechanical fit or some kind of friction fit uh, that I can put those legs on the bottom of the table, carry it around, set it up wherever I want and uh, stuff like that. So it was fun. It came out a tiny bit wobblier than I wanted it to. And that was just, I think I used too few stretchers. I only have one stretcher on this table. It's a prototype. It's a prototype. That's exactly what it is. Um, And I think it's a cool example of what this challenge kind of is, is stepping outside of your comfort zone and doing something you normally wouldn't because there is a certain chance of failure, especially making videos. I try and do ideas that I know I can build successfully because nothing's worse uh, as, as kind of a content creator of spending four days on a project that ultimately fails that no one ever, that really never sees the light of day. Um, But this kind of gave me the opportunity to go out on a little bit of a limb. The project is, it's functional, but it's like, it's 80% complete. Like it needs a second iteration, I think. But this challenge kind of gave me a good platform to like, to experiment, show that things don't always go right on the first time and there's always something to learn from. So, so yeah, I'm excited for it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm Pretty sure, though, I'm just going to say it, if I were to Uh-oh. put this into the entries... Not going to win? I don't think so. Just based on the, the two 2x4 two challenge and like some of the insane things that people built, I don't think this would win it, um, but I still think it's a cool project, uh, and, and it was a cool experiment. That was the first time I'd used a CNC, so... Yeah. yeah. Well, luckily, none of us are eligible, I don't think. Well, I don't know. I might vote for myself. What we'll were the see. prizes again? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Ben, what, what have you been working on? Uh, I've got a few projects going on. Um, for the, the tiny house, we still waiting on permits, but uh, we are able to start the grading process. So the site is quite hilly and there's very little flat places. And in our particular zoning, you can grade if you're doing less than 50 cubic yards of cut and fill, basically moving 50 cubic yards of soil. If you're under that amount, you can start grading without a permit. So we're starting to flatten out the site. Uh, I learned what a skip loader is. Like I always thought of like heavy machinery as all like a backhoe or a bulldozer. So my contractor's been sort of uh, nice enough to sort of educate me on this process because yeah you know for the next house i build i kind of want to do this step myself too and so i've been taking notes about you know what kind of machinery you need what are the sort of rental rates um and yeah so i've been learning about skip loaders and they got a bucket up front and a, mach- a device called a gannon in the back which is almost like a rake um that can kind of level out stuff so that's been interesting. I also learned that, you know, in this particular area, you have to really soak the ground before you start that process because otherwise it's so dusty and so windy out here, you would just create these dust storms that would really piss everybody off. <laughs> um, working on the septic design a little bit, which has been challenging. Uh, normally a septic is a pretty low-tech system. But the soil where I'm at, there's bedrock like 18 inches under the ground. So 
we're going to have to get pretty creative with how we figure out a septic system where it needs a leach field where all the moisture sort of gets absorbed and bioremediated in the soil itself. But if your soil's all rock, uh, you have some issues there. So that's added, you know, a lot more expense. And now we need to sort of uh, engineer a system. And I won't be doing that engineering since it has to be meet health codes and all those things. So have to find a specialist to design uh, a specialty septic system, which has been a setback and will increase the budget, but comes with the territory. In, in terms of DIY projects, we're working on a black oak table with some really cool welded legs. This has been an ongoing project where we made the legs first and we made the first tabletop, which just didn't quite look right. It was a, it was a live edge walnut table and the legs are very angular and the top was just a little bit too curvy, so they didn't really mm -hmm. match. So rather than sort of publish it, we made another tabletop, a really easy one out of plywood. And that looks great and is a great DIY project. But again, we felt like it, the legs look so cool, we wanted to do a top that really sort of showed them off. So now we're doing a very time-consuming uh, oak tabletop that we're going to uh, blacken using the vinegar and steel wool method. So glued that up today. It's been sort of a tricky build, even though it's a relatively simple design. And the way I had glued it up, I had planned on using a biscuit joiner to sort of attach the, the flat pieces, but my glue up got in the way of the biscuit joiner, so I couldn't use that. So I had to go to uh, Harbor Freight and get a, uh, a slot cutting router bit, which I'd never used before. Yeah, this thing was really cool. Yeah, I got this cool kit for about like 25 bucks and it has all these different, you know, they're about three inch diameter cutting discs. And they sort of bolt onto a bearing router bit with a quarter inch shank. But then that, that bit was too long on the threaded part. The bolt was going to bump into a, a piece that I, I didn't need it to bump into. So I actually had to take the angle grinder out, modify the, the threaded part of the router bit, trim that down, grind it smooth, and then <laughs> do that. So just to get this tabletop done, I had to buy a specialty router bit modify that and I just finished doing the the glue up now and it seems to be coming together real real solid so uh it, it's going to be a good project I haven't done just a really really nice furniture project that uh most of the ones I've done lately have been more on this sort of quick and dirty DIY very very user-friendly this one's a little bit less easy to make but uh, I'm excited because it's going to look pretty awesome. Now, I know how you feel because I'm working on a project right now that is definitely not, well, I mean, it's not that it isn't DIY, but it's just in the more like, you know, fine furniture, really paying attention to all the little details. And it's because it's a commission piece. It's the record player cabinet. I talked about it a couple weeks ago, but now I've actually been building it. And actually, if you follow me on Instagram, I've posted about it a couple times. Once a few weeks back, I was talking about the drawer fronts. And actually, we talked about it a lot here. And then about the leg design also. So the leg design I was actually working on when Mike and Ben were out here. So Mike, you'll remember I was having all the issues with the tear out on the end grain when I was template routing them. So kind of figured that out a little bit, but it, long story short, I got the legs done and I think they're good. I, you know, I won't know for sure <laughs> until I put all that weight on them and really stress them out. I tried sitting on one of the sub assemblies. So I already have the two sub assemblies, which are two legs. So total four legs. And I took one of them and just like sat on it. So that I weigh like 160 pounds. So I think the cabinet 
all loaded up is going to weigh more than 160 pounds, but this was just one of the leg and I'm in a lot more of a focused weight than it, you know, it's going to be dispersed over the course of 80 inch or over the length of 80 inches. Whereas mine was just whatever the width of my butt is, which is, I don't know, eight inches, probably got one of them eight inch butts, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it handled it. So I think it'll be okay. I'm excited to see that your, your last record console is my favorite project that you've built. So I'm excited to see a second one. Well, hopefully I, this one is the base is definitely way more angular. Like this is the most angular base that I've ever built. The cabinet itself is square, but then the drawer fronts and doors are going to be very angular. So now that's the next thing I have to work on. I just finished with the cabinet portion of it. And now I have to do the drawer boxes and then make all the drawer fronts and the doors. And then it's just, man, making this project. Like I literally last week, (laughs) every night after work, I would just go sand for like two hours. I probably did like eight hours of sanding last week. Yeah. It's just like such a difference between what I'm used to doing for a YouTube video where like, you know, obviously I sand it and I still get it looking good, but I don't, I probably would have done like two hours worth of sanding if it was just for a video. But since it's for a client, it's just so much extra work. So yeah, it makes me wonder how many more of these I'll take on or or if I'll take them on. But it's been a good experience because it, I don't know, it kind of like gets, gets back to the roots of how woodworking was for me when I first started. Yeah, it's a good throwback. Let's keep this show on topic here. Ben, Let's, yeah. I'm sh- I remember that we talked about your plywood challenge at one point, but talk about your challenge video, what you like about it, ups, downs, and all the in-betweens. So ours is sort of interesting. Uh, my brother uh, helped me with this one. And what we did is we, we took the whole sheet of plywood, cut it up into a bunch of rectangles, and then made a small side table very similar to the pedestals that we made at the great store in Venice. But what was sort of interesting about this project is that we took all the offcuts and used those to make a mold for an identical uh, concrete side table. So we used the whole sheet and, you know, one to make this sort of positive form that we sanded smooth mm-hmm. and then the offcuts to make a second table that was sort of stepped and uh, formed out of concrete. So, yeah, it was very much a one-sheet project, and it was more sort of exploring two different uh, uh, materials using that one sheet as the catalyst. So just editing up the video now and should be ready to go and excited to share it. You mean it's already live. You've already watched it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I know. I, think, I just think it's cool. You're getting two finished projects out of one, one build, so that's cool. Yep. Now, I already, I already talked about mine in pretty pretty good detail a week ago so why don't we go on to just talk more about the specifics of the challenge okay yeah so our three videos are up this morning it's april 19th so this is the official start of the challenge and so it's going to run for six weeks total so basically you have until the end of may so may 31st is six weeks from today so get it up by midnight on may 31st and you're eligible so so here's my first question chris yes What are the material constraints? Material constraints. One sheet of plywood, any kind of plywood you want. Thickness, doesn't matter. We're not going to be a stickler for these kind of things. Just if you can make it out of one sheet of plywood, it's cool. Other materials are fine as long as they're not like the main material. So, you know, if you need extra little things to embellish your project, that's all cool. You know, we're not going to go into specifics of what's fair, what's not fair. Basically, as long as you don't feel like you're going crazy and out into left field, it's probably fair to do. So for the most part, you probably won't have to ask us questions. Exactly. And if you have just like an absurd idea that you're like, man, I want to try this, but it might not be in the rules, 
Send me a DM and I'll tell you yes or no. There you go. And, and we'll keep it we'll keep it clean that way. What else should people need to know? Is there uh oh, let's talk about how you enter. Okay, yeah. So basically put up a video and again you have until midnight. Um when you're doing anything on Instagram, track what you're doing. You know, if you're making posts about the progress, use the hashtag Rockler Plywood Challenge. Obviously, it's all one word. Definitely post finished pics because that's probably how we're going to kind of see a lot of these things that people are entering or, you know, things that people are working mm-hmm. on. And we can kind of keep track of them because if last time is any, you know, guide to how this time's going to go, there were there were quite a few entrants. So hopefully there'll be a lot of entrants this time. I know a lot of people probably are used to building things and maybe posting pictures on Instagram, but maybe they haven't made a video before. So you don't need to go nuts with your video, but just make it the best you can. You know, whatever limited production skills you have, that's fine. If all you have is your phone to film it with, that's fine. doesn't matter how well it's filmed. We're going to probably base it more off of the project itself. Exactly, yeah. I think this is a really good opportunity to get in the game of making videos for a lot of people. Exactly. And making a video is not 100% necessary. You don't absolutely have to do it. The way we're going to be getting the entries are from Instagram with the hashtag Rockler Plywood Challenge. Um, We are going to be constantly monitoring that. So one, don't spam that hashtag. If you're building something that's completely unrelated to the challenge and you're hashtagging it, we're blocking you from the hashtag and you won't be able to enter. So one, (laughs) be responsible and don't just like don't be a douche about it. Right. Because that's the thing about making something public like that is I know there is a chance that people might abuse it. Don't be that person. But yeah, so we're going to be checking the hashtag Rockler Plywood Challenge. That's where we're going to be getting all of the entries. That's where we're going to be uh, sharing them from. Uh, so yeah, make sure you're following at Modern Maker Podcast. We're going to be doing a lot of reposts on our Instagram of cool projects that we see, whether it's a progress shot or a finish shot. We're going to be highlighting stuff. Uh, we're going to be kind of constantly hyping it up there. So yeah. uh, if you're interested in being in the challenge, it is technically Instagram based. But if you want to make a YouTube channel or if you want to make a YouTube video, we are doing a wrap up video, same as we did last time. And it's a lot it's a lot cooler to be able to highlight a video than just some still images. Not to mention there'll be a YouTube playlist, which got a a, a good amount of traffic last time. And uh, yeah, it's just a good chance to kind of get a little kick kickstart for a channel if you're wanting to start one. Yeah, for sure. It's a really good opportunity. And also real quick, let me say, so we're putting up a website or not we're putting up a website. There's going to be a page on our modernmaker.com or modernmakerpodcast.com website. Yep. And I'll so it'll be up there right now so you can go look at it and see all the rules, you know, anything you want to find out. And actually we'll keep it updated if there's if there's questions that keep coming up, I'll just make like an FAQ section and and keep it updated. Exactly. And like I've said a few times, the links in the description of the podcast in the podcast app, you know, for Apple are now clickable. Yep. So uh, it is modernmakerpodcast.com slash plywood challenge. Yeah, I'll make it that. Exactly. But uh, once again, you can just click it through the description and everything we've been talking about and we'll talk about in this episode are also linked down there as well. Okay, so yeah, last thing that we should probably cover is what the prizes are. So like I said, last time it was really good and we don't want this to be like a contest kind of as Ben had stated a couple episodes ago. Um But we thought having some prizes would just be a cool chance to maybe incentivize a few more people. And Rockler was awesome and and stepped up and gave us some awesome prizes to give away. So uh, the way that it's it's not going to be like, you know, 
user voting or anything like that. We'll just, once we see all the finished projects, we'll pick which ones were our favorites and those will be what win the prizes. And there's going to be three prizes. So third place is going to be the Rockler Material Mate panel cart and shop stand. And nice. so, and for all of these also, there's, um, you can get the gift card card equivalent, especially, you know, if you live somewhere where shipping is too hard or whatever. So that one's going to be, that's valued at $250. Second is going to be the Rockler Miter Fold Dado Set which is valued at $350. And first prize is just going to be straight up a $500 Rockler gift card. Boom. Boom. That's a good one. Yeah, I'm a huge, I really like that miter fold. That miter fold yeah. is really interesting. I've been wanting to try that out, so hopefully I can win it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's it's not first place worthy, but you could get a second place finish here. Mike. Yeah, so so that's awesome. Make sure, guys, just go to modernmakerpodcast.com slash plywoodchallenge. All the info yeah. is going to be there. It's going to be a living document. If things change, sure. it's it's there. And uh, don't forget to follow the Instagram. So thank you in advance to everyone that participates. Hopefully it's a good experience for everyone. Hopefully it pushes you all listening into doing something uh, maybe more creative than you would have normally done or maybe something that's a little further out on a limb than normal. You know, And there's plus and minuses to that. There's a risk and reward. Uh, so hopefully the risk is worth it. So, uh, so yeah, thanks in advance to everybody that does participate. Uh, this is a really cool community thing that we're able to do. And you know what I mean? If we didn't have the participation that we had last time, there would be no way we would be able to do it again. So let's keep the ball rolling. Let's make this a big thing so that we can keep doing it uh, instead of, you know, like once a year, let's try and do it quarterly. Or let's do it every, you know, every six months or something like that. So yeah, uh, the more participation we're able to get, the bigger we can make this be essentially. So let's make it awesome. Yep. All right. Let's move on to now the, uh, responses to the river table let's let's hear these yeah okay so dig in yeah so the quick intro if you missed uh two episodes ago with ben paik from Woby design normal ben ben ueda was not with us that week instead we had a guest uh like i said ben paik from Woby design and he had a hot take yeah he did hot take uh, Hot take. <laughs> and, and, and so basically what he was saying during the the wrap-up of our obsessions he was like uh Instead of an obsession, can I say something that I hate? And that thing he hated was Live Edge River Tables uh, with epoxy pours. Go listen to that episode. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm not. Put, I don't want to say his opinion for him. I'm just going to let you go listen to it. It's two episodes ago, and, and these are the responses to it. So I opened up the floor for a little bit of kickback, similar to Wood Talk. I feel like we should go ahead and shout them out since we're doing something similar. We're aware uh-huh. of Wood Talk. We're not copying them. Maybe we're copying them. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, this is the first caller. Okay. Let's play it. Thank you. It's about damn time somebody spoke up about all the river tables. The first one was cool. The second one was cool. The third one, a little less so. But the 300th is just 300 more river tables. Stop already. Do something else. They're all the same. Well, first, let me see that. He's got a very nice radio voice. Yeah, yeah. Good good quality recording, too. So shout out for that. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I noticed it's and not saying like Ben was the first to say it because everybody's recording at different times. But it seemed like all of a sudden there was like a backlash all at once. It hit critical mass. It ben, did. what do you think? I think what people are reacting to is that they follow a certain uh, niche of content producers and all those content producers are producing uh, a design. So I think it's much more, it's, it's much more a reaction 
to the publication and content tendencies of a community or a network of, of makers and woodworkers than it is to an actual design idea. I think the design idea speaks for itself. There's a reason right. why it got overexposed. Um, so I think that's more the thing. It's, uh, but I think a lot of times when people critique things, they critique the thing rather than when they're critiquing the, you know, the exposure to it. It's also kind of like in sports, how everyone always hates the announcers and they think the announcers are always biased and they're watching the game. They're all mad. Uh, oh, this mm-hmm. guy's such an idiot. He's you know, not calling it the right way. Yeah, they're always right. against your team. Um, so I think it's much, but they're still watching the game because they, they sort of enjoy it. So I think it's more of that thing. So I want to make sure that when we're, uh, when you are critiquing things, you know, think about what you're critiquing. Is it that you're, you're tired? Uh, is, it might be because people look to their Instagram feeds or their YouTube subscriber lists to, to find ideas. And when they see everyone doing the same idea, uh, I think that might be a little bit discouraging to their overall network. And it's not necessarily an indictment on any one person within that. But again, I think the yeah. what the, the, mm-hmm. the lesson, the positive lesson that we can all take from this is why it's so important to experiment, to innovate, to uh, evolve uh, techniques, uh, and keep taking things to the next level. And that's the best way to, to to sort of stand out and to also contribute ideas back into the community rather than just extracting them out of it. Absolutely. Yeah, you said that really well. Um, so our next one is a little bit of tangent, but on the same topic. This is from Dave Corey. Let's play it. Hi, my name is Dave and I'm calling from Philadelphia. Uh, I just have to say that you can't really have a conversation about live edge furniture without talking about the man who kind of invented it all. His name was George Nakashima and he was part of the avant-garde mid-century modern furniture movement in the 1950s through 1990 when he died. And his entire philosophy was to let the grain of the wood and the shape of the wood speak for itself. So he would never use epoxy or resin or anything colorful even to uh, embellish his pieces of furniture. And if you're thinking that uh, that's just something from the past and it hasn't withstood the test of time, uh, check out some fine art auctions that sell his work and you'll find that you can't get your hands on anything he made even a nightstand for about $10,000. And some of his live edge dining tables go for a hundred grand. So I think we're going to look back in a few years at all these river tables and think, wow, we wasted a lot of nice slabs um, by adding plastic to them. Thanks. All right. So here's my question that is kind of rooted in what he was saying. Hmm. At what point does adding materials detract from a live edge table? Because I think it's kind of common practice. When you see a Nakashima table, normally they've got, I I think always basically, a wooden base with a wooden slab. And kind of the easy left turn from that is doing a live edge slab with a metal base. Do you you guys think that's an overall net positive or a net negative? It it, it depends. I think, again, I I don't want to ever say that, you know, a concept is a bad idea. Uh, because there, there's always an opportunity to execute it well. Um, you know, there's, there's, and it's hard to speak in absolutes. Right. Yeah. The, the, the point, my, my immediate reaction, one, it's a great call and, and thank you so much for that, that contribution. And it's important to recognize people that, uh, uh, sort of pioneered or popularized certain techniques or ideas. I 
do would push back on the idea that he invented uh, that idea. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, in the, the way I think about things, I don't think any one person can invent a live edge furniture technique. It's a little bit too basic. Any way then a chef could say, oh, I invented chicken soup. <laughs> uh, if you go to any, uh, you know, any place, if you travel almost anywhere in the world where there's chickens, people have come up with some way to make broth out of parts of that chicken. And so the, and I would uh, also posit that if you go to anywhere there where there's trees and people made furniture out of those trees, you're going to see some live edge right. things. So I, I resist this idea that people invented broad techniques. Now, people certainly have popularized them or become no, uh, sort of seen as the, the forerunner or the person that's responsible for evolving those techniques and are hugely important to that. And that's true in every creative discipline, whether it's music, architecture, furniture design, woodworking, whatever you'd say it. But I'm always, I'm always resistant to the idea that someone, uh, whether it's somebody claiming it or a group of people claiming it, that one person invented a broad category of techniques. Well, we got a hot take here from Rick Push and Mike Stone that are kind of in response to what you're saying. I'm interested to hear it. Let's play it. Hey, guys, this is Rick from the Push Family Woodworks. Check us out on Instagram. Um, Regarding the river table fad, uh, honestly, the thing that annoys me most about the river table situation is more often than not, when I see people making money from or off of uh, the river tables, whether they're epoxy or, or glass, is uh, folks are not giving credit to Greg Klassen. And honestly, I know we're all sort of standing on the shoulders of giants and makers and designers who came before us, um, but really credit where credit's due, you know, um, all about sharing and working together and bouncing ideas and getting inspiration. But man, Greg Klassen deserves credit every time somebody makes a dime off of his idea. Hi, this is Mike from Tacoma. I don't mind the river table so much, but what I would really like to see is more people giving credit to Greg Clausen, who kind of invented the whole river table movement. He's the first guy who started putting the glass in between two live edge slabs, and I think the resin is a cool uh, advancement on that, but I still would like to see the credit going where the credit is due uh, for the guy who really invented that whole idea. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Uh, anybody want to go first? If not, I can. Yeah. I will. Go for it. So, again, I think it's really nice and it's a good thing to mention people where you know that. But to play a little bit of devil's advocate, and I certainly I, I think whenever you do know and you don't give credit, that's, that's a little bit problematic. Uh, I think it's a bigger problem when you're making things – if you're making something for yourself – and the comfort of your own home for your own use and you're not selling it and you're just going to share it with your uh, friends and family, fine. You know, every time I make a recipe from, from Betty Crocker, I don't need to announce to the universe. <laughs> and thank you, Betty Crocker, for your awesome <laughs> recipe. But if I was trying to position it as my own original work, then yes. Now, where it gets tricky is a lot of the people making the river tables might not have known that who the original designer was. 
they may have seen right. someone else on Instagram make a river table and then they made it from them. So they actually think that the author or the originator of their awareness of it is someone that's not Greg Clausen, right? So that becomes really tricky is, well, also, do you have to acknowledge a person that invented resin? Do you have to acknowledge the person that invented uh, the sawmill? Yeah. How about the people that invented the, the tools as well? Because those are actually inventions. The other thing is when you talk about money and business and uh, intellectual property, those have specific definitions. And when you talk about sort of credit, that's a more amorphous idea. It's a much more fluid, uh, subjective idea. So giving credit is one thing, but if there's, you know, I'm hesitant to call it an invention unless there's sort of a patent, uh, unless it can be identified in a, in a clear, precise way. And certain, certainly fabrication techniques and processes can be patented and, and, you know, created as a specific type of IP. But if we were to do something with, uh, vacuum forming or injection molding, do we then credit those, those, uh, those people as well? So in general, to be a conscientious maker or designer, it is a good idea to know your history and to know those things. But also, well, it's really easy to watch anything that anybody's ever done and say, well, you're not giving credit to the, the, you know, the, the, the people that paved the way for your little evolutionary step. Yeah, it's important to recognize direct inspiration, but the idea is, like in Onion, there's always layers of improvement and uh, change to anything. You know what I mean? Like if you have a resin river table and you feel the obligation to credit Greg Klassen, you're crediting Greg Klassen when he invented the glass table. And to hypothetically skip over the person that was the first guy to use resin in a live edge dining table is on the same page just as dangerous, right? So yeah, it's, it's weird because how deep can you backdate your credit? But anyways, Chris, what's your thought? Well, yeah, also I was gonna say, I think of the river table as not necessarily a design, but more of a design technique. So if somebody else builds a river table, it's going to be a different river table from the one that somebody else built. So like, I think it's a different thing if you look at a design and you say, what are those dimensions? What are those angles? I'm going to copy that thing. That's a different thing than just building your own version of a river table and not giving credit. I think one is like stealing a design and one is being inspired by a technique and using yep. that technique. For me, I've been on sort of both sides of this of this sort of debate. The, the bucket stool was one of my first projects that went really viral and people all over the world started making different versions of that. It would be incredibly arrogant of me to say that I invented it. Uh, as far as I know, I, I, I never saw anyone else make one before me, but that idea is too simple to think that no one's ever done it in the history of mankind before me. I'm not creating a new chemical uh, compound or, you know, doing years and years of of research at the molecular level to figure it out. No, I'm doing something that's combining materials in a way that I haven't seen before, but I am sure thousands of people in human history have put together concrete and use it to sort of hold together the legs and do that. So again, for me to say I invented that would be, uh, in my opinion, a little bit on the arrogant side. 
Now, that being yeah. said, I think I, I would be as so bold to say that I popularized it. Uh, and certainly uh, when you see the amount of people that sort of credited me as being the, the person they saw, that's great. Also, though, it doesn't make me that angry when I see a, a company like Lowe's rip off the, the design and use it in their things without crediting. Uh, if I was to be angry about that, that would really just be an indictment on me not protecting something that I thought I owned. If I thought I owned that idea, then I should have patented it so that if Lowe's did that, I could then have legal recourse to do that. But I don't think it would be worth the time or trouble or even possible necessarily to patent something that broad. And even if I did patent it, I wouldn't want to spend the time and resources to enforce that patent. So it would be really silly of me to get mad about Lowe's taking an idea that I don't own, right? So you can't really have it both ways. If uh, it would have been nice, don't get me wrong, if they would have credited me and saying, and whoever they hired as their uh, crappy creative agency that just took the idea without without crediting me, Ooh. that would be nice, and I would have appreciated that. <laughs> but it would be it would be it would be ridiculous for me to get upset about something that I didn't even take the precautions to own and then enforce. You know what? So. Uh, oh, God. I try to be consistent on on these things as as, as much as uh, possible. There's also been a chance, and I, and I think I've spoke about this before, where people have accused me of taking too liberally from their ideas, and particularly uh, with the spiral staircase. There's a, a fantastic architect called Tron Meyer who made this uh, a staircase very similar to mine a few years before I made mine. Now, I was not aware of this thing. He doesn't have a lot of, he doesn't have a big social media uh, presence and his stuff wasn't that well published, but it's a very similar design involving a CNC stacked wood staircase. Now, that wasn't the inspiration for mine. The inspiration for mine was a staircase that was right near my office that was made out of concrete in a modular way. So some fans of uh, this architect have continually harassed me over the last few years saying I stole the idea. And part of me understands that they seeing the similarities, even though they're totally made with different machinery, different kinds of wood, all these things. And it's really annoying to me when somebody says, oh, this person owns the idea that I wasn't even aware of and I totally didn't copy. And it just asserts that there isn't such a thing as sort of parallel thinking. Right. Um, so, you know, I try to be sensitive on these things because it does not feel good to be accused of things like that, especially when you know you're in the right. Um, yeah. But I will also say that, you know, the way, the way I look at it is I just try to be consistent. So you don't, have, you don't have to be a conscientious person. You don't have to be a nice person. You don't have to be a fair person. Uh, you have to at least theoretically follow the sort of uh, legal things. But – it is really nice to be a nice person. And I, and I would argue it's better business practice over the long term to credit people, to also do a little bit of research. But also a lot of people are doing woodworking and this sort of content producing for, for kind of a hobby. And if you're doing something for fun and you're not directly trying to monetize something and claim uh, something that is uh, dishonest, then – you don't have to do things the nice way. It's just great if you do. 
Yeah. You know, it's something I think about that a lot. And in fact, with the, the uh, little modular planters that I'm going to put out in about a week, I think about that because I think that's the type of project that there's probably a good chance that somebody has done either that or something very similar. So whenever I put out a video, because obviously I have no way of knowing everything else that's ever been put out, um, I always try to just like talk as much about how I came up with the design as possible. That way it kind of documents my thinking and where it came from. And, you know, if somebody else has made something really similar, cool. Like, you know, I I would love to learn more about it and hear how they came up with it and see if it came from a similar place. Totally. Um, Back to the other thing about people not giving credit to Greg Klassen or Klassen or however you say his name. I would say that he actually does get a lot of credit by virtue of the fact that we all know his name and know that he's the one that invented or popularized it or whatever. Because I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. And it's not really, I wouldn't consider a river table in my design wheelhouse or my you know the aesthetic that i really like but yet i still know that so i think that he is getting a lot of credit for what he came up with i think so too and it's it's the beauty of kind of what ben alluded to a second ago is greg has a pop in instagram and so people it's reachable for people people can see it people can find inspiration from the direct source whereas the dude who made the quote-unquote competing staircase credit can come with exposure in a way i guess is what i'm trying to say i think that's a good topic thank you guys for the feedback uh there was quite a few people that i didn't get to play theirs um for a few reasons some of them were just too long um i probably should have qualified it before from now on when we do feedback like this try and keep it you know about 30 seconds no longer than a minute there was a few people that recorded for like three minutes and it's just one of those things that like sorry but i can't play it uh, apologies. It's my fault. I should have said it. But anyways, going forward. So thank you for the feedback. Hopefully we can be controversial enough to do it on a regular basis. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, what else is happening this week? My, my dudes, my dudes, my dudes, what is going on? Like, well, one of the things we're also releasing this week is how we built a temporary photo wall in the rental house that we have. Oh yeah. So We've talked before about the importance of staging your projects and taking nice photos of them. And since we have a rental house and we're not allowed to paint the walls, we had to set up a photo studio uh, where we could do just that for all the pieces that we're making. So we came up with this this non-invasive way to frame out a wall uh, right over the top of the current wall with a minimal amount of screw holes. I think we only had to put about eight uh, screw holes, which is typical for if you were hanging pictures and stuff like that. Um, we were able to install this kind of flush wall right over the the baseboard trim and all those things. So this will be a video that's on the Modern Maker Podcast YouTube channel. It'll be linked in the description. Are you in a vocal booth right now, Ben? No. It looks like you have like curtains or so. it looks like you guys built like a sound booth too or something. Like we that. hung up uh, for podcasting since it's a pretty empty house and it can be echoey. Uh, we hung up a lot of uh, egg crate foam okay. to kind of help with the acoustics a little bit. Yeah. So hopefully the listeners have noticed a slight decrease in the echo. Thumbs up Although for I'm that. in a more echoey room than normal today, so well, sorry. Chris, I brought it back to even. You're normally the one that sounds the best, so hopefully maybe we're all three on the same level at this point. <laughs> I'm coming down a little bit. You guys come up a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Awesome. So Meet you in the middle. Awesome. Uh, you guys obsessed with anything? We're, we're going to skip the hypothetical. I got a hypothetical this. real quick. Oh, we're going to do it. Oh, one. okay. Got you. Let's hit it. I just thought, I thought of one while we were talking, since we were talking so much about plywood. Yeah. I was just wondering if you guys could think of anything, like if you could... 
have some kind of new plywood product come out or make some change to existing plywood? Is there anything cool that you guys would like to see on the market? The only thing that I think would be great for hardwood plywoods is a thicker veneer. I've sanded through it too many times in a corner or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about that radiata pine plywood is, you know, if I've got if I've got something where I'm using pocket holes or something where it ends up that my joint is not perfectly, perfectly flush, I can sand yeah. things smooth and not be scared the whole time. So I would love to see something like that with a hardwood. I know it would be yeah. a little more expensive, but if you're doing a project where it only takes one or two sheets... I'd rather pay an extra 20 bucks per sheet than ruin my project during the sanding process. I wonder what the price difference actually would be. So just say like a nice piece of like walnut plywood's 100 bucks. If it was 150 bucks for that thicker veneered piece, would you get it? If it saved me three days of work that, you know what I mean? Because like if you build something and like if it takes three days to build something and then you end up screwing it up because you sand it through a veneer, like, yeah, it's definitely worth it. I don't know what that person's day rate is, but hopefully it's more than uh, 50 bucks over three days. Yeah. And it makes a difference if you're buying, you know, if, if you buy 50 sheets for some thing you do, but we're not like, we're not in that boat. We're buying one or two sheets so you're happy to spend the money exactly and it could be a thing where the thick veneer is only on the a side and you still have a really thin veneer on the b side so it's a little more cost effective and you can get all kinds of specialty things i mean uh if you go to like a a uh like a cabinet plywood shop uh you can get all sorts of interesting veneers and uh in my background as architecture we would order all sorts of specialty plywoods for panelings where we'd get a certain plywood or a certain sheet good that had a, an acoustical property and then get a matching walnut veneer over that or something that had a fireproofing property and getting something over that or we get a marine grade uh, substrate and then do a different veneer over that. So you can mix and match all these different things and you can get them. It's just expensive because they're not sort of mass produced. And for me, I, I really wouldn't change anything. Like I, I like reacting to what's available especially when I'm designing DIY projects. And that's sort of why I wanted to move away from sort of custom or uh, production work is because I like the sort of simplifying of just saying, here's what the landscape is. This is what's available to me. And it's also available to other people. And therefore I will react accordingly. Um, So uh, I look at everything, whether it's, you know, a thin veneer, thick veneer, uh, MDF is just the same sort of design opportunities and, you know, what, what can I do with them? That being said, I do like those sort of uh, sanded pine plywoods that has a, a pretty thick veneer. It's like a five-layer plywood, still reasonably flat, and all the veneers are equal thickness. Yeah. Actually, you bring up a good point that almost the availability of more products is great if you're in the manuf- manufacturing game, you know, where you're just trying to get things done quicker. If you're in the content creation thing or game, then the lack of availability is nice because it gives you more reason to make content that either shows how to deal with the way that things are or how to use, you know, come up with something that's out of left field to solve some problem that you're having. So yeah, you bring up a good point. But did you have any, uh, any ideas or improvements you wanted to, you wanted to highlight, Chris? Uh, for me, it's more like color stuff and I'm sure, so I think that these are things that are all probably available to people like architects, but maybe not on the smaller scale. So even if you just look at like what I've been wanting to do for a while now with the car wrap stuff, right, of getting a piece of plywood and then putting this basically laminating it, but just with a a piece of vinyl wrap, 
you know, to have things like that that were readily available would be really nice. But again, if you think about it from the manufacturing point of view, yeah, that'd be great. But from the content creation thing, makes it tough. Yeah, and and having it's it's another aspect of the video that like, hey, you can use this car wrap to, to achieve <laughs> this thing. It's just, it, it, I don't know, it just makes for more content to be out there, basically. Totally. Yeah. You guys obsessed with anything? Anything huge? Oh, I've got one. The interview that Ben did with Stephen Ken. What was that like? Maybe a month or two ago. So Stephen Ken is a furniture designer, product designer. He's got some really unique pieces. You went visited him, and you did about a twenty minute interview uh, with. A lot of cool shots around his his loft space, which is really unique. Uh, some shots around his workspace as well. You'll talk about uh, kind of his building process, his design process, and kind of his story on how he got started. Um, and that's on the Dwell Made channel. Uh, so if you just search Dwell Made on YouTube, uh, you'll find it. Or if you go to at Dwell Made on Instagram, the info is there as well. Uh, but I thought that was a really cool interview. And it's something I think we should be doing more of is highlighting the people that are doing really interesting things but not necessarily making YouTube videos about it. Because it seems like oftentimes, whether you're talking about Greg Class and whoever it is, oftentimes an extreme case on like a cool inspirational piece like his sofa, the type of people that are making those kind of innovations oftentimes aren't the ones making the YouTube videos. So I think it would be cool to find some sort of way of highlighting makers that are really doing uh, super interesting things. So yeah, this was a cool example of it. I rambled there for a moment, but check it out. It's a lot of fun. So that video is now live on the Dwell YouTube channel. And yeah, it was it was a really fun experience. Uh, his his work, as Mike said, is, is fantastic and innovative. But what I think is most important about it is he doesn't have a background in furniture design, yet became a very successful furniture designer. So right. hearing his process, how he got started and those things, I think is what's useful for hopefully our listeners that may be thinking like, Hey, I love making stuff. I love building. I love woodworking. I love design. I wasn't formally trained for this. So this will always be a hobby. A lot of the people I know that are doing really cool things in design didn't study what they're now doing. So yeah, you know, take, take that as a, as a, as a path and as a source of inspiration uh, to know that you what you studied in college or whether or not you even went to college is in no way a boundary or a limitation on what you can do if you have clear ideas and have the willingness to sort of work for them. Absolutely. It was something that, uh, Ben, you and I were talking about the other night uh, casually is the people who have gone to school for furniture design per se, whatever it is, they're all learning the same things and they're all getting shown the same sources in terms of like, getting their inspiration from the same places, at least on the kind of institutional level. So if you're somebody that's been doing something unique for the past 15 years, you can take those life experiences or you can use those materials that you're familiar with doing something else and find a way to incorporate that. And that's how you get that cool kind of cross section of the denim straps to hold the sofa cushions together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stephen Ken worked in denim before he was building sofas. And so he was able to use Uh, his past knowledge on materials and techniques to innovate sofas where someone that had just learned about furniture wouldn't have been aware of the same techniques and the same things. So use your unfair advantage. Chris, what's your obsession? I got a tool pick. So it's called The Little Lipper. It's by FastCap. They're not a sponsor. I bought it with my own hard-earned money um, and just tried it out for the first time uh, like two, two, three days ago. So um, basically what it is, it's a tool for flush trim routing. So you guys know I do a lot of 
uh, you know, I make a little hard edge or a little hardwood strip that I put on the front of the plywood. Right. And so I've had a few different ways that I've flush trimmed it. I've made my own little jigs before and I've had pretty good results, but I was never 100% satisfied with everything or with anything yet. And I would say this is the closest solution I've found so far. I'm like 97% satisfied with this. So pretty much what it is, it's like a plastic, probably like eight inch long plastic piece that what you do is you, you mount it to your, the faceplate of your palm router. And then you put a flush trim bit in it. And then you would clamp your workpiece to your table and have the the hard edge strip laying off the side, right? And so now you hold, you you press the plastic part of it, the little lipper, up against your workpiece, and you have it on one side. You can be putting weight down on it, and then you have your palm router in your other hand. And so now, basically, what it does is it gives you a way that you have a lot of leverage on your router, and it's not going to want to tip one way or the other as long as you're keeping pretty much like more pressure on the little lipper side than the other one. It's not like you don't need like a ton of dexterity to do it right or anything like that. It's pretty forgiving. So basically what I what I get is a trim router usually has a really small kind of face plate yeah, or base. Yeah, you can't really balance and So whenever it. you're trying to route, it's easy to tip one way or the other. So this basically gives you a lot bigger reference surface that you can hold it with two hands that are spread apart and just have really good control. Yeah, kind of that. And the, okay. because you're you can be putting pressure down on the little lipper part of it, that's mm, okay. that's basically holding it parallel to your workpiece. So as long as you keep pressure down on that, it's not going to tip unless you were to like put a ton of pressure on the router side for some reason. Can can you do a little demo cool. of it? Check on, that out. Can you do a little demo of that on the Modern Maker podcast Instagram? Sure. I'll uh yeah, awesome. I, I filmed a bunch of it for a project so I'll, I'll just export a clip of it and put it up preview. For me, mine is a shout out to AO5 Studio. So it's a fabrication group in Brooklyn, New York, and they're the team that I partnered with to make the great store in Soho. So I've been busy in Joshua Tree uh, with Tiny House and other projects, so I couldn't build out the next uh, Soho store. So I collaborated with uh, AO5 Studio, and uh, yeah, they they crushed it. I mean, by collaborated, I just said, hey, can you guys do it? And here's some rough ideas. Not that they need my ideas. They're plenty of talented designers. So check them out. They're mostly on Instagram. They have a YouTube channel as well. Uh, their videos are fantastic. They've done a lot of really cool projects, particularly with like sort of pop-up retail installation pieces and uh, are very skilled digital fabricators. So AO5 Studio, check them out and tell them I said hi and that we sent you. Those links will be in the description. So go and check those out. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed this. Do not forget, when does the plywood challenge end, Chris? The end of May. You have through May to do it. So do it. Don't be the person that doesn't do it and regrets it. Build something cool. Win a prize. Who cares if you win or not? It's all for Lots fun. Of it's community stuff. Exactly. So modernmakerpodcast.com slash plywood challenge for all the details. Check that out. We are at Modern Builds, at Benjamin Ueda, and at Four Eyes Furniture. Collectively, we are at Modern Maker Podcast. If you've got any questions, topic ideas, you can always DM us. You can send it to modernmakerpodcast at gmail.com. And heck, if you've got some, we're not going to kick it, we're not going to call it kickback because that is copying. We're going to say if you have any call ins regarding this episode, feel free to do it. Record a voice memo on your phone, try and record it where there's not a ton of other noise happening so it sounds decent, and then email that to us. Uh, keep it under a minute. We might play it, we might not. No promises. So don't get your feelings hurt if we don't do it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Have fun with the rest of your week, and we'll see you next time on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Later.
Bye. A little late on the bye, but I like it. <laughs> we'll edit it for time. <laughs>